if you have people who are good at being curious and non-judgmental and asking questions, like that changes the response of the other person right. and it kind of reduces conflict. And so my goal is we're going to kind of spread this outward. You're back at the Faculty Factory podcast, and I'm Kim Skorupski, and I am looking at the smiling, happy face of my colleague and friend from the AAMC GFA, Dr. Harriet Hoff. Hi, Harriet. Hi, Kim. So great to be here. Well, everybody loves Harriet. Harriet, you walk around the hallways of all these professional development conferences and beam light and sunshine and happiness like a couple of other friends of ours. So I'm so happy that you're on the podcast today. So everyone listening. I'm going to have Dr. Hoff introduce herself and what she does. She's at the University of Utah School of Medicine. And I want to kick this off by saying, if you have any interest in coaching, being a coach or getting coached, Dr. Hoff's going to tell you about a fantastic program and probably other stuff we're going to talk about because we're both talkers. But uh, this super cool program at Utah, is, is it's fabulous. It's early career, mid-career rapid response coaching. There's this whole program. If you Google this at the University of Utah, you can see wonderful tools. They've got it set up so beautifully. Here at Hopkins, of course, like in many of your institutions, coaching is becoming a thing more and more and more. And we were just on a call at Hopkins talking about our coaching programs and how to develop it and how to roll it out. And I sent this link of Harriet's to our friends and everybody's like, what? This is amazing. This is awesome. So I can't wait for you to learn all about it from Harriet. So Harriet, please tell everybody what you do at Utah, your roles, your titles, and maybe um, the evolution kind of, because there are kind of two groups of people who listen to Faculty Factory leaders in faculty and faculty development and faculty members. So I think we all like to hear the stories briefly, kind of walk us through how you got to be the leader you are and then let's get into this coaching stuff. That's, that's really cool. Okay, Kim. Well, I'm an anesthesiologist, uh, and I've held senior leadership roles in the School of Medicine and also at the university level, all pretty much in faculty affairs, faculty development uh, areas. Uh, my current focus is on leader de leadership development for senior faculty and administrators and career development for the next generation. Um, and I, I have recognized that um, what I like most in life is autonomy. That's my top value. Um, and so I've gone from holding administrative roles where I'm a little hemmed in by, you know, somebody else's agenda to really trying to, to, to grassroots build my own work that makes me happy. So uh, since May, I've been the director of faculty development and mentoring in my department, where I'm trying to build sort of a how to engage people in their work, reduce burnout and increase promotion by making people understand what the work is that they want to do that will make them happy and not burned out, and then help them align it to the department and institution. Um, and then I'm the co-director of the Utah Coaching Advancement, Coaching and Advancement Network, or UCAN, kind of like that little acronym. Um, and uh, it's developed uh, organically over the last few years. And I need to give a shout out to Tony Sai, who is my co-director and um, who is an MBA who works in Wendy Hobson Rohrer's um, Office of Health Education. She's the Associate Vice President for Health Education. 
um, and, and really where our faculty development programs live. And so working with some other fabulous faculty members at the School of Medicine, and you can learn all about this because I just found out this morning, we have an Ignite session at the GFA on our coaching program with three of the faculty members who helped really drive it from its inception. Um, so the program's been around for about four years. It's only been UCAN for about two and a half years. And it started with um, it started with an idea of, hey, coaching is really good for people. We want all of our faculty members to get coaching. We've got like 2,000 full-time faculty members in the School of Medicine we are not going to get an external executive coach for every one of them because there is not enough money in the budget of the state of Utah to do that. Um, so how could we build a coaching program without that? Um, and so then the idea is, well, what if we start working on a grassroots coaching culture? What if we take people who are committed educators and mentors and give them some coaching skills and then create some structured coaching programs so we can give medical students and faculty coaching opportunities. Um, so we're now, uh, we, uh, I'll start from like the trainee end and build up. Um, we have RealMD, which is a coaching program for medical students. We enrolled our fourth, fourth cohort this year. So we have all of our med students enrolled. Um, that's run by Megan Fix and Kat Anderson, who, who are two of our phenomenal faculty members. And Medical students are assigned a coach. They, it's a group coaching experience. They meet quarterly and do professional identity development, kind of who am I and what do I want to accomplish? So that's that's the, the medical student side of things. And then we just enrolled this fall our fourth cohort in the early career coaching program. Um, and in that program, we take um, associate professor above, again, faculty members, um, and it's a it's a six month coaching engagement. There's an expectation of six meetings. We have a workbook, and you can see the workbook at the website. Um, uh, I'll throw you that link so you can put it in, or you have that link. I have. Um, and folks, just let me pause. It's Coaching and Advancement Network. You can at University of Utah. You can Google it. it comes up. Yeah, but perfect. I'll put the link. But go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> so, uh, so we have this workbook, and we have a kickoff meeting where we kind of introduce the idea of coaching. We put the pairs together so that they can. It's been really interesting. We've actually done one kickoff virtually. And then this year we were able to do it in person, which was really exciting. Um, and, and let them get do that sort of beginning setting a coaching agreement together. And then they go off and they meet once a month and they kind of work through this professional identity. Who am I? What do I want to do? It's aimed at people at one to seven years into their career. And oftentimes their questions are, okay. I've taken on all these things. How can I get rid of some stuff? How can I kind of define what I want to do rather than what other people tell me to do? Who am I and where do I want to go in my career? Um, then we just enrolled our second cohort this fall of the mid-career coaching program. Um, and, and that is aimed at faculty who are sort of seven to 15 years in and who are trying to answer questions like, what's my next step? What leadership role do I want? How do I pivot to a new uh, space in my career? Um, and that is just a three to four month engagement. Again, we have an in-person kickoff um, and then there's three or four uh, uh, workbook guided, um, you know, sort of uh, like, what is it that I want to do? How am I going to do it? How am I going to commit to doing it are kind of the three sections. Um, and then the rapid response posting we rolled out during COVID as sort of a, hey, if COVID has disrupted your life, give us a call. We can do some coaching. We usually have around six to 10 
as many as 12 to 14 faculty enrolled at a, in, in each cohort. Um, so it's not, we're not getting to 2000 people next year, but we're, we're building our, our network. We have about 35 coaches in our program. So then I want to talk about the last thing we do, which is how do we give people coaching skills? Yeah. So we have monthly workshops um, in order to maximize people's ability to participate. We have them on a Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday from 10 to 11 a.m. It's the same workshop three times. We get somewhere between, you know, like five and 20 people at each workshop. And in the fall, we did a five-month coaching skills, like just what is a co- what are the coaching skills um, series. Um, this spring, we're doing a what are mentoring skills and how can you use coaching skills in mentoring uh, program. That's what our workshops are focused on this spring. Um, so we try to just give people an opportunity to learn about coaching, to build some of those skills, you know, listening, asking powerful questions, support and challenge accountability. And so they can go out and, and really do coaching. And you might say, well, Harriet, okay, this is all great. Now you got people, they're good mentors. Are they really coaching? How are, how are they doing? Um, so we've got actually, we use SenseMaker and we've been surveying pre and post um, since our first cohorts of uh, early career and mid-career faculty. And we have, so we have data for three cohorts of, mid, of early career um, and things they report. Yes, their coach listens to them more than talks to them. So that's a good thing. Uh, they trust their coach. Um, um, they, at the end, that we, we ask them, how confident are you and how much clarity do you have about navigating your career? And in the beginning, they're kind of all over that map, a little bit unclear, a little bit unconfident. Some people have more confidence and clarity than others. And by the end, they've all moved up to the right. And most of them are in that top quadrant of, I'm clear about where I'm going and I'm confident I can get there, which is kind of exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, we have this, we, we, we aren't there for these meetings, but we are there to support everybody. Um, we have peer coaching programs so that they meet for peer coaching three times during that cohort to kind of build that network. Um, and it's been sort of phenomenally successful at, at a small level. We're trying to kind of build it bigger. Um, and the reality is I am working on getting certified as a, an ICF certified coach. I've completed all the requirements. Now it's just a matter of getting it all put together and submitting it. And somehow COVID has just delayed this all, but everybody else is, is just committed to it and becoming really good at coaching. And then as we've got people who have more and more experience coaching, we're sort of moving them into leadership roles in the various programs. Um, so that's what we do. That is, this is amazing. And I'm so kudos to you and to your team and to your leadership for supporting this, taking the time to put it together and building the infrastructure to make it happen and getting the tools to measure outcomes. Love it, love it, love it. This is so important. And I can't wait for the Ignite session. Super cool. So these 35 coaches, is there any salary support or is this just one of those other uncompensated efforts that mentors are asked to do? How does that play out? And of course, many of them are women, as you might imagine. Mm. Um, So the answer is, uh, our our goal was we build this and we gain support. Uh, Wendy Hobson Rohr is extremely supportive, and uh, she in March of 2020 in her budget she included a small stipend for coaches and some FTE support for me. Tony is really full time in her office anyway. Um, 
uh, March of 2020, I don't know if you remember that, but you can imagine that did not happen in the budget. <laughs> she put it in again in March of 2021. And, and again, we were in, you know, it's just not a time that people are adding programs. I think now we have really good data that we are making a difference and it's working. Um, the chairs now are really excited about it. And in fact, we're doing a mentor training workshop in February. It's a half, it's two half days um, at the request of chairs. We said to chair, we had meetings with the chairs and said, kind of like, what are you looking for? What coaching, you know, what do people need? And they said, we need better mentoring. We need to train our mentors. Um, and so we've created, as you might imagine, a workbook. It's a 10 chapter manual on how to be a good mentor. Um, and it includes a chapter on using coaching skills as a mentor, because of course, to my mind, one of the biggest gaps in mentoring is the mentor comes in and says, this is what you need to do to be successful. Um, and that sends a lot of people down a path of just frustration. Um, we're just saying, hey, when you meet the person you're mentoring, ask them what their goals are. Like if you ask them what their goals are and then you try to support them in their goals, it's astonishing how much more effective that is. So we, we have that mentor training program coming out. We're just, we're actually right after this, I'm working on finalizing that workbook with Tony um, and we're pretty excited. It's actually a pretty good document. And yes, it will be on our website in the next couple of weeks. You're so generous. Thank you for sharing this website, folks, really have to check it out. You can. And I'm trying to put myself always in the shoes of the listeners, a faculty member who's thinking, all right, well, you're talking coaching, mentoring, mentoring, coaching. What's the difference? Can you point out a couple? You, you kind of gave a little tickler hint that in my mind, because I, too, just got certified as a coach. When people have asked me, what's the difference between mentoring and coaching? And it's kind of you have to, the way I think about it is mentoring is for development. May usually I'm looking at a little sticky note I have here to remind me, long-term, <laughs> voluntary advice and guidance, unstructured, fluid, coaching, task and performance-based can be short-term, structured. And what you said earlier is, is so vivid in my mind that in academic medicine, a mentor will tell you, thou shalt, you ought to do this, do that, more directive because Dr. Hoff has been doing anesthesiology and she knows what to do. So she's just going to tell me what to do versus coach Kim might be like the thought partnering of, well, what do you, rather than saying what I think you should do more prescriptive, more exploratory. Am, am I? Yeah. So I, I will say a couple things. One is I always viewed myself as a mentor and it was only in recent years, you know, like mentoring was sort of the central defining thing in my career. Um, and in the last few years, I started saying, you know, what I'm doing is really more coaching than mentoring. And that's how I got interested in getting um, certified in coaching. Um, and um, so uh, I, I will say we have this lovely little diagram I, I can share with you um, where we sort of show how, a Venn diagram of mentoring, advising, coaching and sponsorship. Hmm. And they overlap, right? You want to use all those skills in different areas. And the way we've considered it is, and coaching should just infect them all. <laughs> um, and so I'm always a, a sort of a, well, it's just all kinds of things. Um, but they are distinct relationships. Um, and, and I got I to gotta add my latest new adventure, which is um, the University of Utah now has a master's of health education that we just started this fall. And this semester, I'm teaching a one-credit course 
on developmental relationships. And the first section is, what's the difference between mentoring, advising, coaching? Um, And so hopefully I'm prepared to answer that question now. Um, So the answer is, yeah, as you said, mentors are people who are developing knowledge and skills and competence for long-term development. It's often dyadic. It's usually long-term. It's a close relationship. There's guidance on a selected path, kind of frequent interactions. um, And usually the mentor is a content expert. So they might say something like, in my experience. Um, Now, they're a content expert on their own career. So this is where I think bringing those coaching skills in is important is making sure um, that they know what's going on. Um, If you think about an advisor, I know you're not talking about advisors, but I'm going to throw in advisors anyway. Um, Advisors are provisions of providers of expert knowledge and strategies, like what are your choices? What are your tasks? What are events? It's usually a dyad. It's time limited. It might be just one meeting or it might be a handful of meetings. Like I, I have a new advisee who's a fourth year medical student or third year medical student trying to figure out what fourth year rotation to do, right? Like, and I go, but I will say, so you should do this, right? That's what you say. I will say, I'm going to give him guidance on his choices in his past selection, but I'm going to start out with the question of what are your goals, right? I'm going to be a coach first and then I'll be an advisor. And so that's one of the things. The coach is someone who helps people develop insight, identity, clarity, confidence, and usually for shorter term goals and development, like what am I working on this year? Again, it's usually a dyad, but there are coaching groups. It's definitely time limited. There's some specific goal of the interaction. What I find fascinating in coaching is someone comes to me and I say, what's your goal? And they tell me their goal. And then if I start asking them questions about it, it turns out we're going to get to a better goal, right? So I don't just accept their goal at face value. I kind of help them work it through. Um, And then it's structured, it's monthly interactions. And oftentimes the coach isn't the content expert, right? The the, the person they're coaching is the content expert. And so there they're, you're asking questions like, what could you do? What are your options? What should you do? Um, so that they kind of think it through. Um, so mentoring, advising, coaching, different, different goals. But at the same time, um, you know, when I'm coaching, sometimes I say, hey, I'm putting on my mentoring hat or I'm putting on my advising hat or my sponsoring hat. Hey, here's some people you should go talk to. Um, when I'm mentoring, I... I often kind of put on a coaching hat as a way to figure out what they want. I think one thing that's important is as you're switching between those roles, being cognizant of what those roles are and how they work Mm -hmm. and being explicit to the person you're working with, I'm giving you advice now, or I'm in coaching mode. I'm not going to answer that question. That's your job to answer that question. So that's, that's the difference. Um, And, you know, I kind of think I have a lot of developmental relationships I am here to help people do better, to, to, to maximize their potential, to do the things they want to do, to be satisfied with their career. I can put on lots of hats while I'm doing that. Mm-hmm. And I tend to mix it up in the informal relationships. And then I have formal relationships. And if I'm in the formal coaching relationship, I'm like, I am not going to be an advisor today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Harry. This is really, I like the way you described this. It's really helpful to put this in, in context. And you're making me think of how we traditionally, you know, have focused on mentoring, mentoring, mentoring. That's been like the catch, you know, flavor of a decade or so. And not only how do we do mentoring programs, but a lot of places like we do, do mentee programs, how to be a good mentee. Yes. I'm wondering, could you riff a little bit on 
we're doing, we're training people to be good coaches. And you've really nicely and succinctly described the differences between mentoring, advising, coaching, and sponsoring. Can you give us a couple hints again, back to this faculty member listener, what are elements of a good coachee? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I, I think a good coachee is someone who wants to be there. So we are not doing remedial coaching. Uh, you know, I am, uh, that, and this, been, this has been one of our culture uh, change questions, which is how do we get faculty members and medical students to think of coaching as an opportunity because they have, they're identified with great potential rather than some kind of punishment because they're not good enough. Um, and so we're really focused on, we aren't doing remedial coaching. And a problem with remedial coaching is people don't want to be there right? Like if I get assigned to coaching um, and, and there's a lot of bias involved in who gets assigned coaching and why. So I, I find that whole something I want to sort of avoid. Um, so I think the first thing is someone chooses to get coaching. I, I like it if they have something they want to work on. So we actually, for our programs, um, they're not competitive. Shh, don't tell anybody, but we have an application process and they have to say, this is why I want coaching. That helps us, uh, pair them with the right coach. And it also helps us uh, sort of understand what it is they want to do. And it makes them think about why am I asking for this coaching? What is it that I want to work on? So I want the person who's being coached to understand why they're there, to have some sense of their goals, to be able to express what their values are. Now, I spend a lot of time working with people, exploring what their goals and values are, because, you know, in our med school system, we select for people who are rule followers who like to check boxes. We select for people who match their goals and values with what people are telling them they should be. And so sometimes it's peeling back these layers of, no, really, what do you want? Not what does that guy want? Um, And then I expect that they will be prepared and have done reflection ahead of time. And then that after our coaching session, they're going to go work on it. Uh, We do not expect coaches to send a follow-up. I usually send a follow-up. The coaches I've worked with usually send a follow-up that kind of goes, here's the things we discussed. Here's some stuff you can read. You know, I I like to give people assignments. Um, Here's one of my favorite assignments I gave. I was, I was coaching someone and uh, who was kind of overwhelmed by things. And I said, okay, we're working on saying no. So your assignment this week is to, when you get an email asking you to do something, send a response that says, I'm not going to do that. No, I can't do that. And you do not have to explain it. Do not spend a lot of time on it. Just send that email. And they were like, "What? uh, okay, I'll try that. So like three days later, I get a text that says, I just said, no, I feel so powerful. I can't believe how great that feels. Why haven't I been doing that? I'm going to do that more often. So it was, it was kind of great. It was like, a little, so I'm not giving assignments that are like right um, a lot of work. I'm giving assignments that are just challenge yourself, do something new. So, yeah. so I think you know, pe- people I like to work with when I'm coaching them are people who come in. I'm curious. They're curious. They're willing to be honest. They're willing to be vulnerable. They're willing to share. You know, there's a lot. We talk a lot about how do you develop trust and how do you share your own vulnerability so that they will share with you. So, um, so I think those are those are things that make a good coachee. Um, That's lo- so. I love it. That is just excellent. I'm, I'm recalling Catherine Morrison, JD. We use her for negotiation. You know, you know she is. Oh, yeah. And she says, 
for asking and learning to negotiate her exercises, go to a restaurant and order something off of the menu. And people are like, what? She's like, no, literally say, well, if you look at the menu and see what they have, they have ingredients. Practice saying, I would like a parboiled blah, 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 blah. And, the, the you know, have them say, well, that's not on the menu. I know it's not, but I would like I would like that. Can your chef make that? So, of course, within reason. Uh, but uh, that's something that's kind of scary. Like, who does that? Or, yeah. Uh, but it's it's a yeah. What's worse, what's the worst thing to say? What are they going to do? Like pick you up by your shirt coat, throw you out the front door. Of course not. They're going to say, no, I'm sorry. We can't do that. But you practice negotiating, yeah. asking for things you normally wouldn't ask for. And I'm thinking of you're saying no. I'm thinking, my gosh, evoke our inner toddler self. Just no. Run around saying no, 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 no. No is a complete sentence. Exactly. But it's well, and I had to say. Light. <laughs> yes. But you can say it politely. And 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 I, I will say, you know, I love the power of a positive no by William Urey, which says, uh, if you know your yes, it's easier to say no. And so one of the ideas of these coaching engagements is we help people find their yes. And once you have your yes, you can just go, no, I'm not doing that. It does not feed what I'm trying to accomplish. It's just a distractor for me. And it's, it really frees people to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, So I I think, sorry, go ahead. You think, well, no, yeah. So, so that, so that the, the powerful, yes. The other thing is you brought up practice. I just want to highlight the practice thing. So practicing is a big part of our program. So in our coaching workshops, um, we do coaching set, you know, like you've done the coach training, we do the round robin coaching on like, Hey, what's something you're working on. And then we just practice coaching and give feedback. Cause I think that's such a great thing, but we also encourage people to incorporate practice into their coaching. So um, I oftentimes have someone who says, Oh, I've got an interview coming up. Um, I've got this uh, big meeting this afternoon and I, I'm a little worried about what, how it's going to go. So I go, well, let's practice. Yeah. All right. I'm interviewing you. I am your boss and you're meeting with me this afternoon. So go ahead. And and I'm really good at being um, dismissive and rude and not helpful <laughs> and, and asking hard questions. So it really prepares people. And then they actually have the interview and they're like, they were such nice people. What I don't know what happened there. But um, so I think this idea of practice, you know, I give people opportunities to practice behaviors that they want to incorporate that those are my assignments. Yeah. So you feel like you've been there before that this is, it's not necessarily comfortable, but like, Oh yeah, I've been here. I've, I've got, we've gone through this. I've been in this uh, situation before. I, I know what I can say now. I, I have to figure out now what logistically I can't help, but think if you're doing six, 10, 12, 14 people per that they are loving this. They're finding such incredible value and growth and insight and community building that I can envision a lot of your faculty members going, "Wah! I don't want this to end. I want to re-up or do this some more, or I got to wait till 2000 people go through this before I can get back on the list again. What? So logistically, I mean, as we're trying to plow through and offer this incredible resource to our faculty members, how do we maintain the momentum of those who've done it and gain and derive such value and seen the impact and they want to level up? How do you keep that? Yeah. So I think uh, we have a couple ways that we keep it going. The first is in our mentor training and our coach training skills workshops, we always have a session on ending the relationship. So what happens at the end? How do you do transition to the next? And most of our coaches do end up 
maintaining some kind of relationship. Like I'm going to check in with you once a quarter. Okay. We've just finished this intensive six months. The reality is when you've, it, you know, you, one reason we don't have an overwhelming supply of people, I think is it's a commitment, right? You're going to do six months and it's a lot of work and it's, you know, there's a lot of emotion and stuff. So, um, so you don't want to jump right back in and get coached again. You need to kind of, because really the result of that coaching engagement, it's all the next year or two when it's, it blossoms, right? That's when people are like, okay, I'm going to do these things. And you know, things in academic medicine take more than a week to uh, become something, right? Like, so they're, so they're, they're doing these things. And so we encourage people to at least stay in contact, not in that formal way, but, you know, maybe have coffee together once in a while, or um, one of my coaches now sits behind me at volleyball matches. So um, we see each other there and can catch up, right? There's lots of ways that you can stay connected without that intensity of the coaching relationship. Um, The peer coaching component is something we hope creates a network where they can continue to to kind of support each other. Um, I will say an important thing, which I, because it's internal, we specifically assign people to a coach who is outside their department. The reason for that is, you know, inside the department, there's conflict of interest and you're going to be running into each other in all sorts of other contexts where it could be awkward. So we have someone outside the department. So um, that both allows a little better separation at the end and also gives the person really a network, social capital, a sponsor for the future. You know, I've had coaches who, contacted me and said, hey, I'm applying for this. Could you write me a letter or could I practice my interview? Right. So there are asks that they can do. So I think uh, those are, those are two things to kind of continue it after. Um, uh, we haven't had an, oh, and then the third thing we do is we invite people as they progress to join our coaching workshops. Oh. We're building a network. Yes. Um, they may not yet be eligible to be early career or mid-career coaches, but they certainly could be real MD coaches. And also I just want people to have good coaching skills. So when you're done being coached, you go on our coaching list, our coaches list, and are invited to the workshops. And a lot of those people keep coming to the workshops. And I think that kind of maintains the connection and also helps them continue to build those things they've been working on. Yeah. And it builds a culture of we are a community. We are an institution that values this kind of inquiry and invitation for truth and curiosity that we do this as part of our language. This is how, this is who we are. This is our culture. This is our blueprint for living is that we value mentoring and coaching and advising. And and, and how do we do that? Not only by these programs, but the continuous cycle and loop of incorporating everything in everything we do so that when people use language in everyday meetings and business, you say, ah, that's a coaching question. So it becomes natural, but that's just how we, that's how we are. So that's what I also love about your programming is that it's, it's um, really, you can see how it embeds in how, all right, Utah, this is a, a, a culture that embraces my development and in, in hit on all of these different levels. So again, and, and, and you have finished coach training or you're right, yeah, or college you're, of executive coaching. Yeah. I just finished it. Oh, cool. And so you you've heard about coaching culture. So I'm a big fan of coaching culture. The articles I read about coaching culture says it's a top down thing. It's got to start at the top. And I I think our leadership is great, but our idea is it's a grassroots thing. We're going to just, you know, I feel like it's infectious. If you, you know, there are so many difficult interactions and there's so many interactions that go awry Mm -hmm. in an academic health center, no matter even a great functioning one, 
if you have people who are good at being curious and non-judgmental and asking questions, like that changes the response of the other person right. and it kind of reduces conflict. And so my goal is we're going to kind of spread this outward a little bit at a time, but it's going to, it's going to spread and people are going to kind of go, Oh, that, that was a great interaction. How did that work? Or yeah. not even notice it, but just be more functional. So we are building a coaching culture from the grassroots up. Love it. And you can see how <clears throat> these elements or obviously are in our educational curricula, in our patient encounters, in the lab, in the clinics, in the administrative meetings, all that, just that, how you put that so nicely, re- minimizes or re- minimizes, lowers the barriers of defensiveness and yeah. suspicion that people are looking to pounce versus I'm just curious, but rather yeah. than saying, well, why did you do that? Can you tell me more about that? Just that subtle change kind of lowers the temperature. So I think it's just so, it's kind of an obvious thing, but if it's so obvious, how come we're not doing it? It's, <laughs> it's, it's hard. It's hard. But you're doing it. And it's just, I'm just so excited by your programming and, and more so why I value, you know, you coming on and everybody coming on the podcast, Faculty Factory is my gosh, we're not alone out here. You know, as you're thinking about these things at your own institutions in your own life, please don't, your time is so valuable. Go to the, look at the best practices, look what's already out there and don't waste the time. Let's build on each other's work and um, really just take, take it to the, you know, just maximize it is what I'm trying to say is I, I, I hear yeah. so many people going, we need, we need to build this. We need to build that. I'm like, no, we don't. Uh, that's already done. Let's, let's go look at what's already done. and tweak it a bit, but there are some great models out there and yours is amazing. So I'm so happy that you've spent some time with us, Harriet. And and I just want to say that just reminded me, you know, one of the things that we are highly aware of is there's lots of little coaching programs throughout the university and the health campus. And so we have started, uh, we, our goal in the, is to do everything as a health campus and not just a school of medicine program. This has been School of Medicine to begin because it was kind of the expertise we had and we needed it to be small. Now we're connected with people in all the colleges, sort of going, how could we grow this? And they have programs of their own. How can we kind of intersect? We actually have a staff member who's a coach who we're now kind of collaborating with and thinking about. She wants to do a staff coaching program, but also could she coach in our program? And I'm like, yeah, because she's a certified coach. So this is exciting. So I think that kind of... uh, taking the programs that already exist and incorporating them and and working with them is such an important idea for being successful. Well, you're right. In our Office of Wellbeing, which is uh, a joint collaborative effort between the School of Medicine, School of Nursing, and School of Public Health, our Chief Wellness Officer, Officer, Dr. Lee Doherty-Biddison, was one of the people I shared your program with. It's that same mentality of like, this is not in an isolation. You can't just do this here. It has to be um, system-wide. Yeah. Exactly. And, and it's interesting because our programs are career focused, right? We're career mentoring, career development, career fact coaching. That's what we talk about. However, you know, you think about well-being coaching. Well, if you are competent and clear about your direction in your career, you have a lot of sense of well-being. You are a little protected from burnout. So I see this real intersection between sort of well-being coaching and career coaching as kind of just a huge overlap. Yeah, well, you're right. I was actually, when I was on your website and looked at the, because we were talking this morning about the, the domains 
And you've got them nicely there, the the ICF, the International Coach Fed, Coaching Federation. Yes, the dimensions that, yes, thank you, the International um, Coaches. What's it again? International Coaching Federation. The coaching Federation. Um, the number of coaching foci that you have on your website, professional identity development, professional skills, career advancement, team and interpersonal, leadership development business and executive develop, wellness and resilience, and team effectiveness. Hello. I mean, it just, you're, you're right. The intersection <laughs> is just right there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna, All right. I'm well, gonna, that was really fun. I was well, like, oh, I do have things to say. But you also asked really good questions. Well, is there anything you'd like to leave with the audience before? I'll let you have the final thought. Otherwise, I will just keep talking and drag this on uh, ad nauseum. I think you know, my lessons from this are there are people at your institution who are interested in this stuff. And if you can find them and work with them, that's great. The group that we have working together, uh, we have different perspectives and different strengths. Um, you know, so Tony's the guy who's like, you guys give me some content. I will make a workbook. It is, I, I am never making a workbook personally, but I'm really good at adding content. So I think finding the people that you can work together with to do these things um, and also, I just really think uh, waiting for someone to tell you to start a program, you know, waiting for the dean to say, we need a coaching program and it needs to be grasped, that's never going to happen. I think the key is see a need, find people who are interested in filling the need. Yeah, it's uncompensated and I struggle with that, but I just, as I said, autonomy is my value. Mm. And then just seeing what comes of it. And you know, when it's valuable, I am fortunate to be in a place that the value is recognized. Hmm. Amen. I love it. Love, love, love it. Dr. Harriet Hoff, you've been great. Thank you so much for being on the Faculty Factory podcast. Everybody else, tell your friends, come to facultyfactory.org. You can be on the podcast as well. Harriet, I really, really appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kim. This was just so much fun. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. The mission of the Faculty Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement in service to our faculty members, schools, and institutions. We encourage you to go to facultyfactory.org to find out more, get in touch with me, ask me any questions. Maybe you want to be interviewed on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. We'll see you next time. The Faculty Factory podcast and website is sponsored by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine Office of Faculty. For more information, visit facultyfactory.org.